0: Section fourteen of Insurgent Mexico. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ginger Cucolo. Insurgent Mexico by John Reed. Fourteen. The Rise of a Bandit. Part two. Francisco Villa. Chapter two. Villa was an outlaw for twenty-two years when he was only a boy of sixteen delivering milk in the streets of chihuahua he killed a government official and had to take to the mountains the story is that the official had violated his sister but it seems probable that villa killed him on account of his insufferable insolence that in itself would not have outlawed him long in mexico where human life is cheap but once a refugee he committed the unpardonable crime of stealing cattle from the rich hacendados and from that time to the outbreak of the Madero Revolution, the Mexican government had a price on his head. Villa was the son of ignorant peons. He had never been to school. He had the slightest conception of the complexity of civilization, and when he finally came back to it, a mature man of extraordinary native shrewdness, he encountered the 20th century with the naive simplicity of a savage. It is almost impossible to procure accurate information about his career as a bandit. There are accounts of outrages he committed in old files of local newspapers and government reports, but those sources are prejudiced, and his name became so prominent as a bandit that every train robbery and hold up and murder in northern Mexico was attributed to Villa. But an immense body of popular legend grew up among the peons around his name. There are many traditional songs and ballads celebrating his exploits. You can hear the shepherds singing them around their fires in the mountains at night, repeating verses handed down by their fathers or composing others extemporaneously for instance they tell the story of how villa fired by the story of the misery of the peons on the hacienda of los alamos gathered a small army and descended upon the big house which he looted and distributed the spoils among the poor people he drove off thousands of cattle from the terrazas range and ran them across the border He would suddenly descend upon a prosperous mine and seize the bullion when he needed corn he captured a granary belonging to some rich man he recruited almost openly in the villages far removed from the well-traveled roads and railways organizing the outlaws in the mountains many of the present rebel soldiers used to belong to his band and several of the constitutionalist generals like urbina his range was confined mostly to southern chihuahua and northern durango but it extended from cojilla right across the republic to the state of sinaloa his reckless and romantic bravery is the subject of countless poems they tell for example how one of his band named reza was captured by the rurales and bribed to betray Villa. Villa heard of it and sent word into the city of chihuahua that he was coming for reza in broad daylight he entered the city on horseback took ice cream on the plaza the ballad is very explicit on this point and rode up and down the streets until he found reza strolling with his sweetheart in the sunday crown on the paseo boulevard where he shot him and escaped in time of famine he fed whole districts and took care of entire villages evicted by the soldiers under porfirio diaz's outrageous land law everywhere he was known as the friend of the poor he was the mexican robin hood and all these years he learned to trust nobody Often in his secret journeys across the country with one faithful companion, he camped in some desolate spot and dismissed his guide. Then, leaving a fire burning, he rode all night to get away from the faithful companion. That is how Villa learned the art of war, and in the field today, when the army comes into camp at night, Via flings the bridle of his horse to an orderly, takes a serape over his shoulder, and sets out for the hills alone. He never seems to sleep. In the dead of night, he will appear somewhere along the line of outposts to see if the sentries are on the job, and in the morning he returns from a totally different direction. No one, not even the most trusted officer of his staff, knows the least of his plans until he is ready for action. When Madero took the field in 1910, Villa was still an outlaw. Perhaps, as his enemies say, he saw a chance to whitewash himself. Perhaps, as seems probable, he was inspired by the revolution of the peons. Anyway, about three months after they rose in arms, Villa suddenly appeared in El Paso and put himself, his band, his knowledge of the country and all for his fortune, at the command of Madero. The vast wealth that people said he must have accumulated during his twenty years of robbery turned out to be 363 silver pesos, badly worn. Villa became a captain in the Maderista army and as such went to Mexico City with Madero and was made Honorary General of the new Rurales. He was attached to Huerta's army when it was sent north to put down the Orozco Revolution. Villa commanded the garrison of Parral and defeated Orozco with an inferior force in the only decisive battle of the war. Huerta put Villa in command of the advance and let him and the veterans of Madero's army do the dangerous and dirty work while the old line federal regiments lay back under the protection of their artillery. And Jimenez Huerta suddenly summoned Villa before a court-martial and charged him with insubordination, claiming to have wired an order to Villa in Paral, which order Villa said he never received. The court-martial lasted 15 minutes and Huerta's most powerful future antagonist was sentenced to be shot. Alfonso Madero was on Huerta's staff, stayed the execution, but President Madero, forced to back up the orders of his commander in the field, imprisoned Villa in the penitentiary of the capital. During all this time, Villa never wavered in his loyalty to Madero, an unheard-of thing in Mexican history. For a long time he had passionately wanted an education. Now he wasted no time in regrets or political intrigue. He set himself with all his force to learn to read and write, he hadn't the slightest foundation to work upon. He spoke the crude Spanish of the very poor, what is called pelado. He knew nothing of the rudiments or philosophy of language, and he started out to learn those first, because he always must know the why of things. In nine months he could write a very fair hand and read the newspapers. It is interesting now to see him read, or rather, hear him, for he has to drone the words aloud like a small child. Finally, the Madero government connived at his escape from prison, either to save Huerta's face because Villa's friends had demanded an investigation or because Madero was convinced of his innocence and didn't dare openly to release him. From that time to the outbreak of the last revolution, Villa lived in El Paso, Texas, and it was from there that he set out, in April 1913, to conquer Mexico with four companions, three lead horses, two pounds of sugar and coffee, and a pound of salt there is a little story connected with that he hadn't money enough to buy horses nor had any of his companions but he sent two of them to a local livery stable to rent riding horses every day for a week they always paid carefully at the end of the ride so when they asked for eight horses the livery stable man had no hesitation about trusting them with them six months later when villa came triumphantly into Juarez at the head of an army of four thousand men The first public act he committed was to send a man with double the price of the horses to the owner of the livery stable. He recruited in the mountains near San Andres, and so great was his popularity that within one month he had raised an army of three thousand men. In two months he had driven the federal garrisons all over the state of Chihuahua back into Chihuahua City. In six months he had taken Torreon, and in seven and a half Juarez had fallen to him, Mercado's federal army had evacuated Chihuahua and northern Mexico was almost free. End of section fourteen. Recording by Ginger Cucolo.